You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and I've got my two co-hosts with me. Anthony, how you doing? I am well, thank you, Alan. How are you? Fantastic. Rob, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm just dandy. All right, so it is May. We are coming heavy into festival season, so we're going to talk about some of the recent and a lot of the upcoming festivals and tours and uh, the good and bad, everything. Before that, though, uh, let's find out what we've been listening to and or reading this week. Uh, Rob, what have you been consuming lately? So um, still some of the stuff I talked about last time, but uh, also Sharon Van Etten has a new record Mm. um, called uh, We've Been Going About This All Wrong. And she's touring a couple different tours, but uh, she's kind of up her game as a songwriter and a performer lately, so excited about that. And I'm excited by a band from Greece called, uh, they're, they're a shoegaze band called Sugar for the Pill, and they have an album called Wanderlust. Um, it's pretty great. Believe it or not, there's a huge shoegaze uh, scene in Athens right now. Mm, and there's a, really? th- them and another band called Royal Arch are just like amazing. Um, <laughs> who would have thought? So uh, yeah, and then there's a new album from Warpaint called Radiate Like This. So those are the big, uh, the big three um, that I'm that I'm kind of toying with, and um, yeah. So there you go. All right, Anthony, what's been on your turntable? So three bands I really like dropped new singles this week. Um, so I'm going to actually start with the heaviest and go in decreasing order. <laughs> uh, but the first is Arch Enemy with a track called Sunset Over the Empire. And if you don't know Arch Enemy, they're a melodic death metal band, female-fronted. Their lead singer, Alyssa, is absurdly talented. Um, she's actually started doing a little bit of clean vocals as well as the growls. And man, she is versatile. She can sing. She can growl. She's got it all. And then the band that backs her up, are, you know, they can... They're absurdly talented. I mean, mm. they're the, musically, they're not too far from Iron Maiden if you added you know, death growls onto that kind of thing. Right. Give you an idea sonically. <laughs> but their new track, Sunset Over the Empire, a little bit more brutal than what their usual output is, but I'm really, really digging it. Next up is there's a project that's been going on on and off for several years called Avantasia. Um, they started out um, with an album called The Metal Opera around 20 years ago. And the guy behind it, Tobias Samner, basically just brings together all of these different power metal artists um, from European power metal. So he gets like uh, the guys from Halloween involved. I think Rob Halford has laid a few tracks down. But they've just released a new track called The Wicked Rule the Night with Ralph Sheepers from uh, Primal Fear. And it's everything you would expect in European power metal. It's melodic, it's got operatic vocals, and it's just... A lot of fun in exactly the same way that you would expect power metal to always be. Awesome. And then the last of the trifecta, my boys in Porcupine Tree, 
have uh, dropped a new single. Um, it's an edit of a longer track that's going to be on their new album, but the track is called Herd Culling. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting, and this kind of ties into what I've also been reading, is historically Porcupine Tree were very much um, Stephen Wilson's thing creatively, right? He was always the driving force before they went on hiatus. He went off and had a solo career and is continuing the solo career on the side, and he's doing his thing there. So what they're putting out now is a lot more of a collaborative effort, and you can really hear the influence that Gavin Harrison is bringing in with his drums and what Richard Barbieri is doing on the keys, it doesn't feel like it's just Wilson's vehicle anymore. And it's really cool to hear. And you really hear all three of them shining through on this new track. So really, really digging that. And then one final mention, what I've been reading, I'm about halfway through. We talked about it before we hit the record button. And that is Stephen Wilson's autobiography, Limited Edition of One. Mm. And it's interesting. It is co-written with Mick Wall, who, you know, is a master at these things. But it it's a bit different from an autobiography in that it doesn't really stick to a chrono- chronological order. There are bits that he does chronologically, but then other times he jumps all over the place and he'll occasionally have interspersing chapters that are just lists of things. Here are 10 record stores I love. That's awesome. It's, it's yeah, it's not um it's not really a standard narrative and I'm really enjoying it for that reason. It's a little bit different. So that's what I've been listening to and reading this week. How about you, Alan? I haven't been reading jack shit this week. I'll just tell you that. Um, <laughs> and my listening has been kind of like scattershot all week uh, until today. Like I've been like super focused today because last night on the season finale of Saturday Night Live, Japanese Breakfast performed and they were phenomenal. Possibly my favorite musical performance of the season. They yeah. were so good. Um, I've been so it's fronted by and and she's sort of the the driving force of it uh, is Michelle Zahner. She is uh, mostly I've known her for the last year and a half or so as an author. Um, she's got a, a a novel out called Crying at the H Mart, and it's been one of those surprise hits that I think it's like you know, riding the wave of like the crazy rich Asian kind of books and stuff like that, but um, been a been a big hit. So I've been aware of her for a while. And Japanese Breakfast has been kind of on my radar for a little while. Like I've been aware of them. I've heard like interviews and stuff like that, but I don't think I've ever actually really, I may have heard a song clip or whatever, but not really listened to anything until I saw them last night and they were so good. So I have been like, spent most of my day today deep diving on Japanese breakfast and very, very cool stuff. She, they, they, they kind of have a sound like her voice and the songwriting style and stuff like that sort of reminds me sometimes of like a Nico case kind of situation. Um, I'm, I'm really, really loving it. Uh, so if anybody hasn't checked that out, I would recommend that. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, interesting sound. All right. So another thing that happened this past week was uh, the passing of Vangelis. Rob, tell us a little bit about your your thoughts on Vangelis and so, that loss. Well, so the thing is about Vangelis is that um, his musical outreach goes beyond sort of soundtracks, which is the first thing everyone thinks of. 
but it, it goes into prog rock. It goes into electronica and of course soundtracks. And um, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm not going to try. Um, the thing that's really fascinating about him outside of his music is that literally nobody knows anything about where he lived, who his kids were, who he's married to, nothing. He has managed to keep his anonymity, uh, whatever, through the entire time of almost 50 years in music. It's pretty great, right? Um, there, there's, there's these stories of these guys writing his obituary, and they're like, we can't find the name of his wife. We can't find the name of his kids, right? It's kind of awesome, right? So in this day of, of culture. But um, he's been involved in music for 50 years. Um, you know, he did the Aphrodite's Child music stuff that I think everybody has heard. And if you work in a record store, write a passage is that you listen to an Aphrodite's Child record. Um, also made albums with John Anderson of Yes, which is really interesting. And his only American concert appearance uh, was with John Anderson mm -hmm. at, uh, in, in California. And those records are astoundingly um really, really surprisingly better than you might expect where if I were to say to you, Vangelis made a record with John Anderson, you know, the average person's mind is just going to kind of go back to the soundtrack stuff, but it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And then his music as a, just as an electronic music, music artist, the profound uh, effect upon like ambient sort of electronica stuff, though everything now from like Pacific, uh, from 808 State to the Orb, probably has their roots in Vangelis. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, um, if you listen to even like things like Daft Punk, right? Um, he's one of these pioneers of electronic music. And you have seen or heard, I mean, you've seen the movies that he, that he scored and you've heard his songs, even if you don't think so. Everyone knows about Chariots of Fire. I was still younger than Alan at the time in 1981. <laughs> and but, you always will be. <laughs> um, I just don't think of you as old. So I that's, uh, thank you. But, I appreciate that. But um, I always have to remind myself. But uh, again, part of that amazing year of 1981 uh, in music, uh, Chariots of Fire sort of like ignited my passion to sort of dig deep into soundtracks, right? Uh, even though um, everywhere you went in 1981, that record was playing. It was like you know, it was like the Nirvana smells like teen spirit of 1981. That record was friggin' everywhere. You couldn't escape it. It was in commercials. It was on TV. Literally, you could not escape that that record, right? So outside of Chariots of Fire, though, he did the soundtrack for the film Frenzy, which is an amazingly sort of overlooked film. Um, also, The Missing, that soundtrack's great. His score for The Alexander, a terrible, terrible movie, but the score for it is great. Um, I remember, too, being like a little part of my brain going off when I watched Cosmos with Carl Sagan, he composed the music for the Carl Sagan series of Cosmos. And also you should know him for Blade Runner, which is still oh, one yeah. of the five like most important soundtracks of the late 21st century. And right. um, also an astounding piece of electronic music as well um, in terms of how it uses voices and samples and things. So um Vangelis, it's, you know, we're losing these guys that were really sort of interesting and creative across multiple platforms, you know, and I think he sort of bridged, he's one of the few people that sort of bridges prog rock with electronica. Um, yeah. And the ambient stuff is really, really, really fascinatingly interesting uh, to check out. So. so I am going to try to pronounce his full name. Uh, ah. the, he's Evangelos Odysseus Papathanasiu. Yeah. And interestingly, tying everything together, 
Stephen Wilson talks about him a lot in limited edition as what of one because Wilson as in his early teens was a pretty obsessive about collecting records whenever he could afford them but B was really interested more in soundscapes and electronic music than he mm -hmm. was in band-based music mm -hmm. and those Vangelis albums that he was able to get his hands on were hugely influential in his early work and the direction he took um, and you can really hear that in his one of his side projects bass communion lots of very ambient weird mm -hmm. experimental electronic music and that comes straight from Vangelis and I think to your point Rob that's where you see that bridge between prog, electronic, ambient, and, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't, I'm, I'm going to make both of you feel old. I it's wasn't okay. born when Chariots of Fire or Blade Runner originally came out, but even growing up in the 90s, 2000s, you know, the legacy of Chariots of Fire and particularly the scene with them running along the beach to <laughs> Van Galis's soundtrack. Right. That, you know, Growing up in Britain, that really just lived on and on and on. And you even see it, you know, in the opening ceremony for the 2012 Olympics. You know, they yeah. just, yeah. I, I don't think, uh, yes, his soundtracks were probably his most famous work. And again, I just don't think you can get away from the extremely profound influence mm -hmm. that those had on music and culture. Agreed. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that. You know, he kind of got a disservice because people started to lump uh, ambient and a lot of that music. They called it new age, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, and I think that um, in his time, he wasn't really appreciated. You know, I know one of the things that probably drove him nuts is that people always confused him with Yanni. Um, they were able to find that out is that people would always confuse him with Yanni and it drove him nuts. Um but well, this, this is also around the same time, like 82-ish around that time, that George Winston and all that Wyndham Hill stuff started to become like all the rage. Yep. And all that stuff started getting lumped together. And where yeah. Vangelis has so much uh, breadth beyond just that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just sort of one of the big sort of travesties of the world is that he didn't really get the respect he was due. But he also sort of hid away from it, too. He didn't really do it. Right you know, do anything to really capitalize on notoriety. He always made records to be creative, not that he cared about it, which I always thought was kind of cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. My, uh, my knowledge of him really sort of started with the John Anderson albums. Um, they did four albums together. And the second album, Friends of Mr. Cairo, is probably the best known of their collaborate and they did four, uh, at least four albums together and there's a song on there called state of independence which is probably the best known song that they did together and it's interesting that throughout uh you know at least that part of the yes story uh we're talking like the early 80s this is um the first one short stories came out in 1980 which is when John had sort of stepped away from Yes when Yes uh, went on without John and did drama. and that's, But then 81, Friends of Mr. Cairo, 83 is when Yes sort of reformed with the 90125 lineup. And so it's interesting that he's got this sort of side career going on where he's like in development of all this other stuff that's yeah. not getting expression in the Yes camp at the time. So, uh, And that was the first sort of gateway to those albums I had too, even though they yeah. were the most popular. 
Um, and it sort of opened the floodgates for everything else. It's like, oh, I'm going to keep track of both of these people, right? Mm. And it's really interesting. That album, you're going to laugh at me, Alan, but that was my gateway to, to yes. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. There's I know, but it was just... Nothing I, to laugh at. I know, but it was very strange. Um, like, oh, wait, who's this? You know, and it was just, yeah. Interestingly enough, just on John and Vangelis, the, mm-hmm. I, I think in the UK the first album short stories did better than the friends of Mr. Cairo. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were better known for the very first single that came off of that. I hear you now. So I I always find it interesting how that kind of thing can reflect very, very differently on the two sides of the pond. I agree. It's always interesting to see how, you know, even with a group that's successful, one album does well on one side and not on the other. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a very, very quick break to uh, play an ad from one of our other podcasts on this network, and we'll see you in 30 seconds. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. We're the hosts of the Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast where we're watching through all of Doctor Who. And we're just about finished with the classic series. Depending on when you hear this, we may already be done. So why not go check for yourself? And while you're there, why not go ahead and listen to every single episode of the Watchathon of Rassilon? And watch as Joe loses his last little tenuous grip on sanity. The Watchathon of Rassilon, a proud member of the ESO Network. All right, uh, we're back, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this is festival season. There is a lot of stuff coming up. Um, there's, you know, some big ones that have just passed. Uh, we we've had Coachella in the last few weeks, and but there's still a bunch of stuff to look forward to. And Rob, uh, this is a topic that you've been wanting to discuss for a while now. So uh, lead us in. Well, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit when when Ken Brown was on. Yeah. And also a little bit when Stephanie was on and, um, you know, it is festival season and we are three old white guys who still go to shows, but do not really want to stand around in a show for a full day. Point point of order, point of order, two old white guys and one younger white guy. The average, the medium age, according to Polestar and and, uh, Billboard for going to festivals is 27. After 27. I'm only seven seven years older than that. (laughs) I'm hip, man. I'm cool. I still got it. And how many festivals do you go to? Zero. But that that was the same when I was 27. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I tend tend to view this, um, you know, I'm always intrigued by the way they put the lineups together and sort of the response to it, the call and response on it, um, which we'll get to in a minute. But I think, you know, um, I think festivals are still relevant. I think they're still interesting. I think they're still great for people to go see and discover music. Yeah. But for me, I like the festivals where I can go and see the people I want to see and then find something else to do or rest just because it's such a marathon now. Like when I, when I was younger and I did like Lollapalooza or some of the other festivals, it was like seven to 10 bands, maybe 12. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're good. Right. This thing is like a three to five day marathon in some cases. Right. And it's just brutal. So I guess the first question is, um, what does it take to get you to a festival now? (laughs) Oh, man. What would it take? (laughs) What would it take? It would take porcupine tree to start with. (laughs) I was going to say small lineup. 
um, small lineup. And uh, I was telling Alan before we started recording, I'm one of the palest people on the planet. I will get a sunburn when exactly. it's rain raining. So I would prefer an indoor festival. <laughs> I realize those are few and far between, but that a kind of festival lineup in an indoor setting or in a tent, tented. Tented perfect. is good. Yeah, tented is perfect. Um, somewhere where I'm not going to burn, basically, because <sighs> that will happen within 10 minutes. Um, and I really don't want to be camping, you know, a, yeah. a, a city location where I can go and stay in a hotel. I don't want to stay in a tent. Sorry, Glastonbury. It's just not happening anymore. <laughs> You hit 30 and you're, oh, this is why the average age is 27. You hit 30 and your back goes out and you can't camp anymore. Right. <laughs> um, but I do think having a, a small accessible lineup would is probably the biggest factor for me. Yeah. How focused does the lineup need to be? You know, I like... Mean, I, I, <laughs> so I once played this game of um, trying to put together my own dream festival lineup. And I looked Ooh. at the lineup I'd come up with, and this was years ago. I don't even have it written down anymore, but it was so eclectic. I was like, that, that I would be the only person on the planet who would go to this and enjoy every single band. <laughs> um, it was the most, I mean, there would be people there with those bands that would be hardcore enough to go for, you know, two or three of the 20 band lineup I'd put together. But, yeah, you know, I, I coming up with a lineup that is focused enough for me to go, yes, this is a festival I'm going to is nigh on impossible. And I'm sure that's yeah. the case for you guys as well. But does it have to be like all metal bands? Does it no, have to be absolutely all? Not. Does that, does that increase the enjoyment? Does that put you in a particular mindset? Um, I think, and bearing in mind, I've only been to about two or three festivals in my life. I think going to an all metal festival and the very first festival I went to was Download Festival in in yeah. Donington in the UK. Right. That was all metal and you definitely get an atmosphere being around a huge group of metal heads mm -hmm. in a way that if you're looking at Lollapalooza that has Metallica as one of the headliners this year but also it has Lil Baby on the same day, <laughs> right? right? And other headliners include Dua Lipa and Machine Gun Kelly and Kygo, right? So that's clearly not a metal festival, and you're going to get a much more eclectic audience. You're mm -hmm. not necessarily going to be around, you know, your people if you consider a certain group of fans of a certain subgenre to be your people. If you go to something like Lollapalooza versus uh, a Download or a Bloodstock or a Warped tour, right? <laughs> I guess for me, man, it would take, it would take a lot to, to I, I, it's just not something that I really do anymore. Mm -hmm. So back in Florida, I don't, okay. So does festival necessarily suggest to you multi-stage, no. multi-day kind no, of I, thing? So no, okay. I just tend to think of a festival as you're going um, and you're seeing several bands on a bill that may yeah. or may not fit together. And it's more than your traditional like opening band headliner. Right, right, right. You know, so, but a targeted sort of yeah. Event. Back in Florida, we used to have these like in the each summer we would have uh, at least one, sometimes two or three, of uh, these big all day music shows in a stadium, and it was usually in oh, I can't remember the the name of the stadium, the Orange Bowl, 
uh, that's where the Super Bowl would happen. And it was this was called the Super Bowl of Rock. Ooh, oh, man. my God, that was great. I saw so many good bands. They still have that festival. That was the only time I have ever seen UFO. And I wish I could remember anything at all about it. But, man, I saw some great, great shows in those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that it's probably been that long since I've been to an actual, you know, I would have gone to Lilith Fair, you know, because that seems mellow enough for me to, you know, go to and just kind of hang out for the day. But, you know, I don't know. It's just like it's it's such, it's kind of arduous. You know, I'm I'm showing my age now. I don't mind saying that I'm old when it comes to like, I don't know if I want to put in the effort to, you know, go, you know. Well, also to the nature of a festival, I I think has changed. It's it's a lot. It is. It's a lot. You know, about 15 years ago, I went to and I'm not sure if you would count this as a festival, but I went to the Marillion Convention that was a three day affair and they headlined every night, but they had probably three or four different support acts on each day and the you know so it was like 15 bands in total over the course of three days um and that was a lot of fun because it was kind of chill during the day and there was proper accommodation on site and it it didn't feel like too much Mm -hmm. uh that's that's the kind of thing i i really really enjoy yeah coming back to your earlier question alan yeah and i think too you know i think all of us would go to a festival if it's sort of like oh I have to see this or that. I know I'm not going to see this particular artist again, but I think it's putting up with the sub bill, the heat, the restroom, the, the parking, the high cost of like buying anything that you possibly need. Um, and just sort of the nature, the culture of going to concerts is so different now that I'm not sure I would be super excited to go to one anymore. Um, right. But having said that, um, this past weekend, I know we talked about festivals being targeted. Uh, this past weekend was uh, Cruel World in LA that uh, everyone keeps talking about, and this sort of like it sort of like rolled out all the greatest hits for uh, for our generation: Devo, Blondie, Bauhaus, Violent Femmes, um, Morrissey, The Damned, The Psychedelic Furs, all played. Mm-hmm. Uh, Echo, Echo and the Bunnymen, Echo and the Bunnymen canceled. Then um, there were a couple other that were supposed to be on there. And it was it was very much a focused festival on a particular genre of music. Oh, missing persons also played. Um, it oh, was focused, yeah, it was focused on a particular time of music, a particular group of artists, and it did really, really well. And I think that's more of an example of a successful festival or something like Courtney Barnett's doing with the um, here and there festival that she's doing, where she's taking a bunch of really interesting. Um, female-based indie artists out on the tour, out on, on different small little tours. Mm-hmm. I think that's way more interesting than something like Lollapalooza or Coachella, where it's just sensory overkill. Um, yeah. Right. You have to be very selective when you're talking mm-hmm. about those kind of shows. You and, But you also have to, like, plan really well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know how to get from one stage to another stage in order to get to a band that you really want to see, Yeah, you know. It it's interesting that you mentioned um Cruel World, Rob, because I think that kind of generational targeted festival is something relatively new. That that mm-hmm. nostalgia based thing that yeah. seems to be popping up a lot coming out the other side of COVID. I mean, you know, I I think I've mentioned before when we were young, which seems hugely targeted at my own 
generation who were more inclined to rock that not really bands i like but because uh, yeah. i was never into what was cool but um you look at the lineup <laughs> on that and it's you know um afi and mm. dashboard confessional and all of those kind of punk rock and indie bands that are not punk rock punk um punk and emo bands that were big in the mid 2000s and then a couple of weekends ago you also had a lovers and friends happening in vegas which was all the the kind of early 2000s hip-hop and r&b acts like t-pain um lauren hill tlc Mm -hmm. usher etc and so these nostalgia based ones are are an interesting phenomenon and not one that i'm really you know used to seeing i I think it's a cool idea and the 90s are coming back so every festival now is going to be 90s centric for a little bit you know one of the interesting things that's been happening for a while now uh in the uk is the rewind festival oh yeah and so i had just looked that up to see who was going to be there this year um and it is like some notable folks like billy ocean jimmy somerville that's kind of cool um the queen's symphonic i don't know what how they're going to work that out the Trevor Horn band, which I don't know what the Trevor Horn band would be doing unless he's playing like his yes and his yeah muggle songs and it's all it's him and the session musicians from all the yeah. ZTT stuff pretty much yeah uh, Banana Rama Wet 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 Tom Bailey you know so it's it's all like eighties stuff and that's been I don't know how long Rewind has been going on but it's been a while I've seen um coverage of it on uh some some of the channels here in the u.s that shows uh concert stuff all the time i've seen past ones that and i've always enjoyed them but that one is a i don't know it doesn't have the strongest lineup this year and since you mentioned the download festival uh i i looked up who's going to be there this year and the two biggies kiss and iron maiden yeah i didn't see that (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's got Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction on it too. I think uh, that's. I mean, what? yes for Jane's Addiction, but uh, Smashing Pumpkins. I know. I know. Uh, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. They've got uh, Mastodon and Darkness and Steel Panther, of course. Good old Steel Panther. Um, yeah. Airborne, Data Remember, um, Miles Kennedy. No. Yeah, Megadeth the second stage uh, headliner on. Are they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I totally overlooked that. Yep, yep. So yeah, that would be a fun one to see. I would, I would enjoy all that. Yeah, but I think you know, I just, I just think the nature of festivals has changed so much that maybe guys like us that try to be up to date musically and sonically aren't necessarily up to date with live shows because we got to pick our spots. You know, for seeing bands. Yeah. You know, so. I know what I really want, but it's never going to. There's two things I, I, I really wanted with festivals, one of which cannot happen now. But I really wanted an annual David Bowie curated festival every year. Yeah. Just because that would have been amazing. Right. Yeah. And now more than ever, I want a Sparks curated like something, <laughs> even if it's like, I mean, they would have like, you know, trapeze artists and bands and pe- watch people paint. It would just be great. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I kind of like this idea of an individual artist, sort of like they do at all tomorrow's parties, kind of curating a festival. I, I like that more than a large scale festival. And I really wish we'd see more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like um, I know Bowie curated um, <laughs> Meltdown in the UK. Yeah. Yes. 
I know what that was 20 years ago. And I, I think yeah. that's an interesting one is to, you know, call an artist in and have them curate mm-hmm. it. I, I think they've got Grace Jones doing it this year. Yeah, I would, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and she's got a really interesting group of bands, mostly, I think, female-fronted. Um, but it's obviously she's headlining, but she's got Solange playing, Skunk and Ancia playing, and then um, some names that are very clearly African that I've never heard of before. Um, so I hmm. think it, it, yeah, it would be interesting. I was going to move into sort of the next realm of this, where, like, what... Is your, I mean, do you have a particular memory from a festival that you have or, or would like to share? Gosh, you know, the, the first thing that, that, that kind of comes to mind is uh, the, the first one of those Super Bowl of Rocks that I ever went to was in 19, was it 80 or 81? I think it was 81, and Hart was the headliner. So that's, of course, the reason I went. Um, and... <laughs> I remember, so, God, I wish I could remember who all the lineup was. Uh, that was when Blue Earth Cult was there. Uh, UFO, I think. Um, it was a weird lineup. Um, but it was a great, great, great show. And I remember that uh, Blue Earth Cult at the time had the big Godzilla prop, the big animatronic thing, and it malfunctioned. So they were waiting for the thing to like work before they played the song. And then they just played the song without the prop, you know? So we missed out on seeing Godzilla and I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know if it was a medical thing or if it was a like chemically induced thing, like somebody overdosed or something. I don't know, but there was a girl who just freaked out and had to be removed, uh, you know, from our, at least from our area. I don't know if she was taken out, but she was, in a bad fix and that was like 10 minutes into the first band playing so i was like you 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 went through all this stuff and whatever it was that you did you've now missed the entire rest of the day that is fucked up mm-hmm. damn i know yeah i uh i had a former co-worker who uh went to a burning man it wasn't the burning man it was like a local version in georgia and Five minutes in, took some bad acid and woke up in the hospital the next day. Oh, <laughs> Missed the whole thing. Oh, um, my gosh. Just don't take stuff that you don't know what it is. But anyway. Yeah. I have one kind of festival memory, a bit more of a regret more than anything. So when I was 15, it was Download um, 2003, which was the first Download Festival. And a friend of mine got tickets for the second day the sunday for his birthday so a group of three or four of us went and you know we drove up there the sunday morning having stayed the night at his place on a saturday night and we rather than doing the sensible thing and sleeping (laughs) we got hyped up on sugar and played video games all night so we were exhausted by the time we got there and we got through a few bands i really remember seeing the darkness who are a great live band alan even if you don't like them they oh i'm sure they're a great live band i mean yeah but on the second stage the band apocalyptica were on the bill and if you've heard of apocalyptica that at the time they've gone off and done other things now but they were best known for doing metallica on four cellos yep Except this was June 2003. Metallica were weeks away from dropping their St. Anger album. And we fell asleep in a field. 
And it turned <laughs> out that that Apocalyptica billing was actually a secret Metallica set. What? So I slept in a field while Metallica played the second stage at download. What? Oh my god. <laughs> and that is my overriding memory slash greatest regret from a festival. Oh my gosh. Wow. That is crazy. So um I remember at Lollapalooza, there, there there's there's two really short ones. When I was at Lollapalooza one year, I was um uh I got a I got a laminate to get backstage because I was gonna interview bands for the station. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting to get to interview um, the Jesus and Mary Chain and a couple other people. And the long and short of it is I got bit by the drummer from L7. She just basically <laughs> came by and said hi and bit my neck and talked to me and then left. All right. <laughs> nice. It was, it was, I still have no idea. And I saw them about 10 years ago, or no, 10 or 15 years ago in concert. And I'm like, you know, last time I saw you, you bit me. And they're going to oh, she did that a lot, you know. Right. Uh, and they've, you know, it's, so there's that. And then uh, there's a alternative music station here. And this is the other thing, too, is in the 90s, radio stations started to do festivals again. Yeah. Right. And the station here um, had one. And the lineup was like garbage, gravity kills, Poe. Kids ask your parents. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was Candlebox, back when Candlebox first broke, Jars of Clay, Everclear, <laughs> Seven Mary cool. Three, Luster, um, Triple Fast Action, the the, the vile uh, evil that is Goldfinger, were all in this bill, right? And I got, I got tickets, basically, luckily through a friend of mine who worked there, because there were only two bands. Well, I didn't mind seeing Garbage or Poe, but Love and Rockets played, and so did Pulp. Right. Mm. And wow. Um, of course, the set times for Love and Rockets and Pulp have a 17 minute overlap. Yeah. With one like on the ass end of the state uh, of the place than the other. Right. Right. Of course. So um, I just kind of figured, you know what? Um, it'll work out. So I go. And because they didn't tell you how necessarily this was all going to play out in terms of the schedules with delays and things. Um, it ended up where they switched the times for Pulp. And so they ended up going on at three in the afternoon outside. Pulp is not a three in the afternoon in 90 degree weather kind of band, mm -mm. right? With no tent or anything, right? <laughs> uh, there were 14 people that saw Pulp. <laughs> oh my god we right. one of them yeah it was pretty great oh wow um, and it's at the height of like you know the, height, the whole height of brick pop and pulp and you know um right when common people was breaking and it was amazing jarvis was jarvis it was amazing and then literally um i had 12 to 15 minutes to get to see love and rockets so right. in the end it all worked out right um but yeah, I'm just really happy that I got to see Pulp in, in like a festival with like, you know, 15 or 16. And that's one of the joys of festivals, too, is that you'll get to go and you'll stumble upon a band that you don't necessarily know of. Or mm -hmm. you will get to see what they call a, a lower card band yeah, and then a headliner. And then you have to kill the time in between. Right. Um, which is the other thing I hate about festivals. And uh, they've made it possible to come and go now. So I don't want to sit around for 10 hours between seeing bands I want to see. I'm just, I just right. don't, right? Right. Um, but in this case, it kind of worked out really, really well because um, they've never come back here and they're not going to tour again. So 
But if Jarvis, yeah. if you're listening, first of all, please come on our show. Uh, and two, we'd love to see you tour again. You know, uh, there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> two simple requests from yeah. your friends at Modern Musicology. I, I think now every every podcast, uh, Anthony and I will talk about Sparks, and I will make an impassioned plea to Jarvis Cocker to please come on our podcast. Um, that'll be our new gimmick. I think of what of your asks him to either come on the show or tour again. One of those is more is a lot more likely than the other. I and think neither of them is likely. I was going to gonna say neither are terribly likely, but one is more than All, his, although. Yeah, he's a, more likely to come on the show. <laughs> if there's one, if there's one week when Alan is not here, there's a very strange man in a wig that looks like Alan but talks like Jarvis Cocker. Now, I'm not going to be fooled. So. <laughs> I'm sure I could not pull off the impersonation, so it will probably be the real dude. Um, so what do you guys think makes festivals interesting? Like what, even if you don't go, there is sort of the pseudoscience of like looking at the lineups and kind of thinking about them. Like, okay, if I went to this, how would I navigate it? Or, you know, um, I, what would I see or not see? Or what, what would intrigue me about this? So what to you guys makes a festival interesting? Is it being televised so that I can watch it from the couch? <laughs> like right on, man. And, and I joke about that, but you know, Glastonbury is televised yeah. in Britain, and you can yeah. watch it from your couch. So and is Reading too, I think. Right? Is it Reading? Bits of Reading. I, I, I okay. think Glastonbury has better coverage. Um, and I mean, I remember sitting at home watching Oasis play Glastonbury. Mm, nice. And I'm not the biggest Oasis fan because I think of the the Britpop movement, they were the lowest common denominator band, but they're good live and mm -hmm. oh, yes. well, they were yeah. good live. And watching them on TV play Glastonbury was great. And there have been other bands I've seen. I mean, FFS, when they were together to bring it back to Sparks, because we have to do that, um, did a set at Glastonbury. And for a while, that was on YouTube, the BBC coverage of that. And again, great. It was, you know, the best thing given that they weren't coming down here. So, I would. I love it when festivals are televised because I'm more than happy to watch from the comfort of my living room. So, how much of uh, Coachella streaming did either of you watch this year? Zero. I didn't even know it was streaming. <laughs> I picked. So, yeah. I, first thing I do, uh, and part of it is to be fair, is that I know Tuffley, and um, he will tell me when things are streaming, or other people will sort of. I'll hear about it, right? Um, I made an effort to watch more of Coachella, Coachella this year than I had in years past. And that was, yeah. again, picking my spots. Like, okay, I'd like to see Avalanches. Um, and I want to see Danny Elfman. And there's a couple other artists that I want to see that I have no idea who they are just to see them. And I try when I watch something streaming to explore something um, out yeah. of respect to the people putting in the effort to put on a show. I try to find something interesting or to watch that like i have no idea if i'm going to like this or not but i'm going to see it right and just to sort of get familiar with it mm -hmm. um I'm, sorry rob i'm looking at the lineup that played coachella and i've never felt so old because i don't I know, know half of these people i, are. I looked at i i, I was like what welcome I, to the club my friend i mean so, and i say half i'm talking like actually 90 percent. i would have liked <laughs> to have seen king gizzard and the lizard wizard though they're, yeah they're fun right I, I, I literally couldn't, um, I looked at that and I'm like, who are these people? And I just, I really felt, um, for the first time I was like 17 in high school again, not knowing who all the popular bands were that the kids listened to. And it really was kind of weird. 
right? Um, but my counter to that was like, but at least I'm not there and miserable sweating, right? So, um, you know, I think one of the things for me that makes a festival interesting is can I stream it? And I will certainly pay money for a festival or an artist yeah. streaming if, if it's something I want to see. And right. being I, whoever got the idea to stream Coachella uh, is really smart because, if one, it's free, right? And why people may not be spending money to Coachella this year, they'll be like, you know what? That looks like a party. I'm going to try to go next year, right? Yep. Or yep. they're going to go online and buy the merch or the records or whatever else they have. At a time when merch isn't moving – um, that's a really clever marketing way to do it. And I think that festivals are sort of st saved in many ways now by the ability to stream and the ability to um, YouTube. I think the fact you can watch them later sort of perpetuates the popularity of the festival and oh, makes yeah. them sort of interesting. Yeah, and absolutely. Not strictly festivals, but I think streaming shows, particularly yeah. in 2020 and 2021 when shows mm. weren't happening. Right. I grew to really enjoy that. You know, Marina, who is an artist yeah. I dearly love, yeah. did an album launch where she and her band, you know, they formed a bubble, quarantined for a few days and went and, and recorded a show in the desert with yeah. no audience and they put it out via streaming. And I loved it. You know, again... Mm -hmm. A live show from the comfort of my living room. Yes, please. Yeah. And, you know, there were some concerted festivals that were put in, put out on streaming only. Um, Century Media, who are a heavy metal record label, so of course I know them. Um, not personally, I know of them, <laughs> obviously. Um, they did a four-ish four hour festival called Isolation Festival. They put out in 2020. Yeah. And, you know, they had a bunch of, artists on their label do maybe three or four songs and they would the artists were free to do it however they wanted so you had lucifer who got together in one of their home studios and recorded together and had a cameraman doing all sorts of cool angles or you had bork nagar who all just did it in front of their webcams separately and mixed the sound together in post Mm, and, yeah. it, you know, you saw them all five of them doing it over Zoom, basically, which was right. really, really fun. Um, <laughs> but that was a fun little thing that I really, really enjoyed The again, streaming, but came out of the need to do it because of the pandemic. Yeah. It opened up new avenues of creativity, I feel like. But I also think, too, that that did change how the festival sort of evolved because people, people I think, learned the two festivals that coming out of the pandemic, that there's an audience of people for streaming. Um, and it's also, I think it's an extra revenue source too. It's an extra way to make money when they have to cap attendance, um, which I think yeah. is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of, uh, local festivals, you know, because we mm -hmm. see a lot of things on the national scale and, um, Anthony and I both live in Atlanta and, uh, there's a, there's a number of uh, festivals that have really become, important um one of the longest ones that we've had uh here in atlanta is called uh music midtown and uh but there's a couple of other ones that have sprung up since then so two of these have already passed by uh 420 obviously happened in april this is the sweetwater 420 fest and it had Oysterhead, Trey Anastasio, the String Cheese Incident, Humphreys McGee, you know, all those kind of like stoner jam band kind of things. 
I was going to um, say all, all the bands you would expect from a festival called 420 Festival. <laughs> correct. Um, the other one, which is a little bit more recent, is the Shaky Knees Festival, which happens in our Central Park. And a three-day festival. This one was uh, the end of April, the beginning of May. And the headliners were Green Day, Nine Inch Nails, My Morning Jacket. Um, but interestingly, since this band was just mentioned, um, the the second day, Saturday, Nine Inch Nails headlined the 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 two next build bands were Churches and King Gizzard. So they were just here literally weeks ago. But uh, and f- now that I'm looking at the poster, Japanese Breakfast was on there too. Holy yes. shit. gone, Alan. I know, right? That would have been amazing. Um, and so our next one coming up is Music Midtown, which is in September. And this one has been going on for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. I've known about it for 20 years at least. And the, the biggies on this one are... Uh, My Chemical Romance, Future, Jack White, Fallout Boy, Phoebe Bridgers. Um, it's it's. I think it would be a good show. I wouldn't wouldn't mind going. It's always so difficult. It for one thing, it usually happens earlier in the year, and it u- used to always happen on a weekend that I could not go for whatever reason, work reasons or whatever. So this one in September, I might actually try to make. But um, it looks like a a, a pretty good selection of bands. So I think it'd be fun. I'm going to put my grumpy old man hat on. The only band I would want to see, or the only artist I would want to see on there is Jack White. Yeah. Phoebe Bridgers I, is pretty amazing live. Is she I don't though, know who that is. Because I, I like, I, I really want to like Phoebe Bridgers, but my God, she's got a lot of mellow stuff. And I just don't know how interesting that would be live. Sometimes she, it depends on her mood. She will do a rocker set and sometimes she'll do a mellow set too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard a rocker Japan, song from her Japanese yet. Breakfast uh, can get pretty mellow with some of those sets, too. Yeah, that's but, true. That's true. Um, but, I mean, you don't build a whole set around your mellow, unless you're Dido or some shit like that. So, And who wants to see Dido at a festival? Thank you. So, side note, I have friends, this is going back to, you know, years, 20 years maybe, uh, who like, were really into Dido. And I was like, they were going to go see her at the Fox Theater or whatever it was. And I was like, holy shit, I would never be able to stay awake during that. And they're like, no, 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 she's great. We love her. It's going to be awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And so Monday came around. And I said, hey, how was the concert? And she was like, we fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I told you, didn't I? <laughs> and what Alan isn't telling you, dear listener, uh, that these friends of his were chronic insomniacs and hadn't slept in three years. <laughs> So I guess thanks, Dido, for that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We sadly don't have a big festival here. Um, yeah, the, the one here rolled up and kind of went under. But we do have a thing called uh, Music in, at the Intersection, which is in September. It's kind of a jazz, blues, soul festival. Mm. Second year, yeah. um, a lot of local artists or regionally based stuff. Although this year they're bringing some people in. Um, but yeah, we need a, a, a good, strong balls to the wall festival that doesn't involve Ario Speedwagon or Fest or Kansas. Hey, um, hey, hey. there's nothing <laughs> on the Kansas. We get the, uh, we do get with our 4th of July, we have the, uh, a fair underneath the arch and they get a bunch of bands to come in and it's not the same. It used to be amazing, but yeah, we don't really have a great festival here. A lot of people here will go to Chicago, um, because they have Lollapalooza, they have Pitchfork and they have Riot Fest. And usually between one of those, there's something you want to go to. 
we also have the Atlanta Jazz Festival. Yeah. Which um, I've never been to. I'm looking at the, at the performer list now, and I don't recognize any one name on it. So, yeah, I'm I, I think out of festivals this year, I'm probably more excited about Riot Fest than anything else. I'm not going to go, but that's the one that I would be probably the most excited about. Uh, yeah, plus, yeah. Placebo, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, Bauhaus. But where else do you see Bauhaus and Gore and yeah. the original Misfits uh, and Nine Inch Nails? You know, I mean, if you're a goth, you've got Bauhaus and, and Nine Inch Nails at the same gig, you are like literally crying, right? Um, so, yeah. And the Descendants and Fear, you know, for us old people, old punks. Um, yeah. So that that's the one I'm, I, I would probably go to if I were. Yeah, that's got a good lineup. I just looked it up and yeah, yeah, that's very solid. Speaking of a good lineup, here's one that I want to give a shout out to. Anthony and I were talking about this before we started recording. This is the Maryland Death Fest. Yes, that is is coming up this weekend. So if you're, you know, listening in the Maryland area, you might want to see this. This has got a lineup that includes such bands as Antichrist, Antichrist Siege Machine, Arch Goat, Bird Flesh, Asthma Castle. Who knew you could have a whole castle built around asthma? <laughs> um, <laughs> Cerebral Rot, Cloud Rat. I mean, this is a this is just great. Um, Massacre, Malignant Altar. I mean, there's some great, great, great band names on this. But uh, Alan, the- as I told you, you know, no Pig Destroyer, no Anthony. No, yeah, I know. No, I'm not going unless they get picked destroyer. <laughs> the asthma one is my favorite. Yeah, that's hilarious. General surgery. <laughs> oh, Cephalic <funny>. carnage. <laughs> War fuck. I love it. <laughs> oh my god. So and, I'm you know, the, the appealingly named cancer. <laughs> right. <are> on the bill. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So if you're the in the Maryland area. And this is, and you can read the names on the poster, then, uh, you know, go hit it up and let us know how it is. So if you are going to any of these festivals this summer, do us a big favor and and drop us a line and give us a little festival review. Tell us what you enjoyed, who you saw, all that kind of stuff. And we are genuinely particularly interested if you do make it to the Maryland Death Oh my God, I need to hear a report from that. I think we need to go next year, Alan. (laughs) I think so. I, I think, think we need I to would, take this show on the road. <laughs> I think I would probably even go to that. Oh, all right. <laughs> Just to see Warfuck. Right. <laughs> like what well, does a know. what does a roadie look like for Warfuck? <laughs> probably exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> there, there is uh, an equivalent in the UK that is Deathfest UK. Ah. And I Birdflesh are playing that one as well. Hey, look um, at that. But I think my favorite named band on there is. Sorry, I need to compose myself before I say this. <laughs> Liquid. Shit. <laughs> you did do a very good job of not. composing yourself. Liquid shit. <laughs> oh my Greatest god! Greatest band name ever. <laughs> also appearing are gets worse. And die choking. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I tell you, we're gonna have to wrap the show up because I might have to go make a liquid shit in just a few minutes. So <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh 
my god, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are going to be back uh, next week. Our topic next week is how old is too old? Um, speaking of festivals, I think we might all be too old, but we'll see. Um, after that, I, oh, go ahead. I actually propose that we put together the too old festival that will be great for people like us. The downside is uh, Genesis in their current iteration will be headlining. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Um, the week after that, June 5th, uh, we'll be recording a show with Stephanie Seymour talking about girl groups. So that's going to be fun. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you on the intro net? So as always, you can find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast. And sorry, I'm still nearly <laughs> cracking up over liquid shit. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to get stuck. Um, so anyway, Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from start to right through to wherever it is when we get to the current day um so who knows where what doctor who will be doing in about 10 years time right um but we have just wrapped up season 10 so we are coming towards the end of the john pertwee era so check us out you can find us at watches4d.podbean.com as well as on spotify apple podcasts um iHeartRadio, all the usual places and you can also check us out on social media instagram facebook twitter at watches4d it seems like just yesterday that you crossed the line from troughton to pertwee i know and it was nearly a year ago can you believe i know that? it was i remember rob <laughs> People are on the hunt for you. Where are they going to find you? Well, uh, I am on the radio on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 Central on Juxtaposition on KDHX. Um, if you want to hear any of the bands playing the Maryland Death Fest, that's not a place to go. <laughs> but uh, you might find something that makes you feel old and you forgot about or something brand new that makes you excited. Uh, so that's on. And also uh, the coffee has a weekend justice podcast. I'm on that. And uh, I write stuff. So there you are. Right on. How about you, Alan? Where can we find you? Well, I have a star Trek podcast. It is called earth station Trek and it can be found at earthstationtrek.podbean.com or on Facebook or on Twitter. Hey, and, Alan, yeah. can I interrupt you on that? Yeah. A little bit of exciting uh, things happening on Earth Station Trek. We recently found out that one of the cast members is a secret Klingon. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and uh, Keith, his name is actually Keith. Right. That's Shocking right. scenes. Shocking scenes, I tell you. And I also have a very, 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 very small publishing company called Cosmic Press. Uh, we got a few Doctor Who books, a couple of uh, novels, a couple of other things, picture book for children, all kinds of things. So go check us out, CosmicPress.com. All right, gentlemen, I will see you next week. For all the listeners, thank you for hanging out with us. I hope you go to a festival this summer. If you do, let us know what you thought of it. And we will be back in a week. See you then. Have a great week. Do good in the world. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Cheers. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network 
your station for all things geek.